0: The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Before we get started, I want to give you a little bit of context on the, uh, the, the book as a whole. Peter, the the apostle, uh, is is writing not as somebody that's unexperienced, right? He he's a bit extreme in his perspectives, a bit extreme in his his views and the way that you should live out your life. He he walked on water, he sank. He denied Jesus three times. Uh, he accepted Jesus three times. He he he's the guy that's on. He's the pendulum, swinging back and forth. This is wisdom from Peter who who knows. What it means to live a life of Christ and to do it poorly as well as to do it well. Peter is a guy that brings us a lot of experience. So as he's writing this book, uh, it's important to understand where he is coming from as an apostle, as a a follower of Jesus Christ, one of uh, Jesus's chosen disciples. So as we dive into 1 Peter, uh, we're we're just going to take the first two verses today, just verse 1 and 2, and we're going to talk about uh, the context that that this book is being written to. As I was researching and studying for for this particular sermon, I realized that there's actually way more content in here than just one sermon's worth. I could probably do three or four sermons off of this without any problem, just in these two verses. So I'm going to try and condense it down to just the main points. And uh, as, as Shine has asked me several times, Nate, when you preach, slow down. Okay, slow down. So I'm going to try and slow down and consolidate it to just the main points for this particular passage. And it's really going to set the landscape for the entire book as we go on. And myself and the other elders that are filling in while Tim is gone over the next several months are going to just continue to do piece by piece of this book as we continue. So join me, if you would, please. First Peter Chapter 1, I'm going to be reading out of the NIV today, and that that is important today for this actual passage. Um, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Now, that, that passage has a lot of theology in it. Oh, it, it packs a huge punch. So this, this is a letter written from Peter to the church uh, dispersed into these particular areas. And, and this church that he's writing to is not a, a church of wealth. It's not a church of status. Uh, he's writing to a, a disenfranchised, a marginalized people. Now, he he calls them very, very specifically exiles. You can also translate that as as aliens. And there's been a lot of theological discussion on what does he mean by aliens. There's two main views that you can take on this particular passage. And the first view is that uh, they're simply aliens because they're away from home because they are not where uh, they call home. So it's just a simple, literal definition of I'm an alien because I'm in a different country other than my, my home place. I believe that we probably have some understanding and context of, of that particular mentality in this congregation, I would guess. That's, that's a very literal translation of this particular passage. But there's another another translation, another view on this uh, that also is very, very compelling. And that's that he's actually referring to them in their alien status because they are Christians. Now, they are aliens. We are quite sure that the people he is writing to are exiles. They are away from their home countries. But I personally believe, as, as I've studied this and after reading lots of commentaries and listening to many sermons on this, that, that I also take the second view and that Peter is also referring to Christians as aliens in this world. And there's several supporting uh, factors for that uh, that we'll see later on in Peter. It, it also supports it in, in Hosea, in, um, in uh, Hebrews. Uh, it, it supports this, this mindset that we are aliens to this world. So he's writing to people that are twice alienated, not in their home country, new language, new culture, new place, new food, uh, probably experiencing a significant amount of racism, a significant amount of bias. Um, They're they're disenfranchised people. They are the throwaways. They're the people that if they just disappeared, the country probably wouldn't even know they were gone and wouldn't miss them. They are aliens in their country. They're not at home. And on top of that, they are Christians which further alienates them from any culture that they might have been able to identify with. And this is an important concept because as Christians, especially in that day and age, and certainly now, but especially in that day and age, you were alienated from the general population as a Christian because you were at that point in time the vast minority. And at that point in time, it was, the church was so new that, that it really hadn't taken root. These, these were the pioneers of of the Christian faith. They were also in, in a Roman Empire at this stage. And, and the Romans weren't necessarily all that thrilled about Christians. Now, as Jews... They had quite a good reputation with the Roman with the Roman government. Now they've been oppressed by the Roman government, but at the same time, the Roman government knew that they were monogamous, right? They they, they worshipped one god, they only had one wife. Uh, they, for the most part, had fairly good rules, good hygiene. Disease did not necessarily spread through the the Jewish people as it would through the the other people groups, the the more pagan people groups, the people groups that were. Um, Uh, more expressive in their identity than the Jewish strict law people group. And so the Romans actually thought very highly of of the Jews in that respect. Now, these people were leaving that and joining this other faith, this other identity, which is Christianity. They had left their Jewish roots. And in the other context where they weren't Jewish and they were Gentiles, coming into this context, they, they were probably even worse off than they would have been as Gentiles. Now, as Gentiles, it was expected the the, the country was extremely racist towards Gentiles. Right. You 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 the, the Roman Empire was not thrilled with the Gentile people because you were considered to be uh, less um, organized, less uh, controllable. They had great control over the Jewish people and the Gentiles were not necessarily in that context. And so as as these people were coming into this faith, they they're coming into oppression of all sorts of, of various different uh, levels and scales. They, they, at the very ground level, they were simply just outsiders. Then they were impoverished outsiders. And then on top of that, they were Christians and they, they were aliens in, in all senses of the word. Now, Peter writing to these people. Um, knows their plight. He, he knows that they are um, a struggling people. They've been dispersed. And he has great compassion for these people that have been exiled. These people, so many of them simply would have just been exiled from their families for becoming Christians. I mean, we've seen that here. We, we know what that looks like in this context. They've lost everything. So this starts out the book of First Peter. Okay? I'm writing a letter to the oppressed, the outsiders, the exiles, the aliens in order to encourage them, in order to talk to them about how we might live well, about how we might approach life. Now, as, as modern day Christians, uh, some aspects of this could be a little bit more difficult to apply. In our particular context, the, there's actually a big application, obviously, with us being aliens. In a very foreign context, um, that it's more obvious for us. If we were, if I was preaching the sermon in America or in Canada to a Canadian church, or in Europe, uh, you know, Germany to a German church about being aliens, the, the 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 relationship might be a little bit harder to make. But you are literally aliens. All of you legally in this country, unless you happen to be the few that are Thai, in which case I'm sure you can still find an application for this. So, this is a letter to the aliens. This is a letter to us, the church. This is a letter to us, the Christians. If, if we look at Christianity historically, there's, there's generally been three kind of major views in the way that Christianity uh, has been held in society. One, uh, it's an intentional counterculture of separatism, right? We're Christians, so therefore we separate ourselves. We are apart from the world. We make ourselves apart from the world. Uh, you see this more extreme in, in, the, in the Brethren or Amish communities. Uh, they, they literally make themselves apart, then there's another view, and that we extend Christian society into secular society, right? We, we try and define marriage. Uh, we try and define, America did this quite significantly in trying to define prohibition. Um, we, we try and define, as a Christian faith, based on our worldview, the, the social government. So that's, that's one application of Christianity. And then there's another view, this this idea that we can be in two separate realms but interconnected, that the Christian community is meant to be governed by the Christian community and the secular community is meant to be governed by the secular community. community. And where those two things meld, there can be some sort of a harmony. Now, most people probably fall into the third category. But the reality is, is that we all see ourselves in one of those lights most likely, to some extent, we apply our Christianity in one of those contexts, and so we have an identity. We ha- we have this this idea of who we are to the outsiders, as well as who we are to the insiders. there, there is an identity there. But we are aliens, and this is this is something that Peter has made very uh, a very specific point about. There there is no uh, miscommunication about this idea. That, that we are aliens, right? We, we, we can confirm that. We can go to immigration, spend a day there, and understand just how alien we are. And Peter is writing to us. He's writing to his church about our attitudes, about the way we are aliens, about how we operate within this context. Now, Peter, addressing this letter, Addresses it very strongly, right? If you can imagine writing a letter and putting a header on it like this—a a salutation, or not a salutation—the thing that goes before the the address of the letter, right? And and you start off by saying, you know, my son, chosen by God the Father. Okay, this is not an informal letter to to just your buddy. This is a formal letter that you expect to be taken seriously. And Peter writes this letter and he starts out, because you were chosen by God the Father, to God's elect. Now, in some translations, they actually move the chosen, the God's elect part to the end to try and make it a a more direct uh, connection to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, which are obviously uh, referenced in this particular passage. But the NIV and a couple of other passages do a good job of keeping the elect at the very, very front. Exactly where Peter put it. Now, both translations have their their values, but I'm going to use the NIV today because I think that there's a reason why Peter says, right out of the gate, to God's elect. That's the address. That's who it's going to. That's how he sees you. That's how he sees me. That's how he sees this church that he is writing to. To God's elect. And then he qualifies that you are exiles. And that's an, important, that, that's an important priority there. And that he's not writing to the exiles who are also chosen by God. He is writing to God's elect that also happen to be exiles. Those are two very, very different things. Because if you wrote to Nate, who just happens to be my son, or to my son, whose name is Nate, there's a difference there. right? If I receive a letter from my family that says to, to Nate, who just happens to be my son, I'm going to wonder a little bit about exactly how my parents perceive that relationship. <laughs> but if they go right out and call me to my son, to my son, and then qualify it, they've called me by my identity, my deep identity. And that's what Peter is doing here. He's calling us as Christians by our deep core identity, to God's elect. We are chosen. It's important that we understand who we are. As we go into the book of Peter, I'm going to challenge you to struggle with your identity. Because Peter constantly challenges how we apply that identity and how we perceive that identity. As I was going through this, uh, I, I had a, a great learning opportunity this week. Uh, earlier in the week, it was probably Monday or Tuesday, I forget exactly which, which day it was, maybe even last week. Was it last week? It might have even been last week. Uh, my wife pulls up to the house, she gets out of the car, she comes in the house and says, I think something's wrong with the car. It just kind of stopped. And, okay, so I go out and the, uh, the fan belt is off. I thought, okay, well, that's that's a fairly easy fix. Unfortunately, I can't get to it, so somebody else is going to have to uh, do it. So I call a tow truck, and they go, and they get the car back to the shop. They give me a call, and I'm, I'm thinking, they give me a call and say, hey, your car's ready. We got the fan belt back on. No problem. Well, I get this call saying, well, the problem is, is it's actually uh, not just the belt. Uh, your crankshaft is broken, and the belt has come off because the crankshaft is broken on your engine, which the only way to fix is... Pretty much putting a new engine in. So instead of that 1,500 bot purchase that I thought I was going to be making, it's now a 40 or 50 thousand bot purchase. And and I kid you not, the mentality was, God, why are you doing this? We are literally two payments away from owning the car, and now I have to put a new engine in it. Why? And this spirit of of Pride comes upon me. The spirit of self-loathing that I have to spend 50,000 baht on a car that's probably only worth 60,000 baht. Why? And as I'm going through and I'm studying First Peter, I'm starting to realize that I have an identity problem. That my identity is that I don't deserve this. My identity is one of selfishness. My identity that, that, that I am in that time frame is is one of of wanting what I simply just don't deserve. God has never promised us things of this world. God has promised us himself. If our identity is in God, there's nothing to complain about if your identity is firmly rooted in who you are as, as a child of God, there is nothing in this world to complain about. Because we don't deserve anything more. And I was struck as I was studying yesterday. I hadn't actually made this relationship until Saturday. As I'm going through and thinking and pondering how I'm applying this to my life, and I think, wow, how selfish am I? Peter is writing this letter to people that are suffering in poverty as exiles in a foreign country, probably removed from their family and various different relationships, quite possibly disowned. And later we'll find Peter essentially says, Buck up, pull up your bootstraps, and live. And so as I'm studying this yesterday, I think, wow, I have a car. I have ministry, I have friends, I have family. I have a house to live in. I have meaning. I have purpose. I have kids. And I don't deserve any of that. And yet, I still find time to complain about the one thing that goes wrong. Because at that time, my identity is not in Christ. My identity is in whatever thing that I'm currently lamenting. And I started thinking about how we could potentially apply this as foreign missionaries in a foreign country. And the applications just started rushing into my head. But before I do that, I want to make something very, very clear. Your identity is not defined by you. Your identity is not something that you have created or you have obtained. It says very, very clear here that your identity... Is because we were chosen. Right? It says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. That's who you are. Through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. To be obedient to Jesus Christ and the sprinkling of his blood. So, who are we? We are known. We are chosen. We did not get here on our own. We did not choose God. He chose us. We are according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, sanctified by His Spirit, unto the obedience of Jesus Christ. That's our identity. That's who we are in the church. Now, I know that we struggle with this because I know I struggle with this. And I'm going to make the assumption that we as Christians probably all struggle with the same things. Our identities have been compromised by our countries, by our political systems, by our churches, by our mission agencies. Who are you? I know that right now, at least in America, and I've heard from several other countries, there is a, a raging war In the balance of politics. And right now, there is one identity constantly at battle with the other identity. And the third identity is you're you're supposed to, I guess you're crazy if you don't hop onto one of those identities. And these identities are constantly butting up against each other. And I'm hearing things from America that, well, I have to vote for this person because I'm a Christian. And I think, what, what, why? Or, I can't vote for this person because I'm a Christian. Why? Your identity is in Christ. You are a Christian first. You are not a Republican Christian. You are a Christian who might happen to be a Republican. And I know this is also a raging battle that's happening in Australia, where right now there's different factions constantly warring for a more liberal agenda, a more conservative, uh, conservative agenda. And right now, the world is asking you to pick teams. Peter is telling us we've already got a team. And there's great comfort in that. We have been chosen by the foreknowledge of God the Father, sanctified by the Spirit unto the obedience of Jesus Christ. That's who we are. Now, should we participate in politics? Yes. Should we be active? Yes. Should you go vote? Probably. But, do it with the correct identity. Do it with the foreknowledge as part of the foreknowledge of of God. Do it in the sanctification that you have received. Do it in obedience to Jesus Christ. Now, it'd be easy to say that this is just politics, but it's not just politics, right? We all come from different organizations, different cultures, different countries. It's very, very easy to say, well, I'm with Wham? or I'm with Campus Crusade or I'm with uh, OMF or I'm with SIL or I'm with SIM or I'm with whoever you want to be with. And you, you when people ask you, what do you do in Thailand? You say, well, I'm with OMF because that's a part of your identity. It's the same thing. People do that with with our organization as well, with SCF, with CCF. What church do you go to? That's also somehow sneaked into being part of our identity. Well, I go to CCF, you know, or maybe I don't go to CCF. Those long sermons, I tell you. And all the churches, when the pastors all get together and just fellowship together, we joke about our differences, right? Right. What we what we tell people, and this is this is forward knowledge is, is we send all, all the the extremely charismatic people to COC okay that's the only place they're ever going to be comfortable right? And then all the extremely conservative people go to CMCC and then all the people that are sitting in the middle just don't know which side to go to end up here. And then and then we joke about just cycling people around right because then if you're not happy at CCF we're happy to just give you the address for COC or CMCC or the gathering or one of these because there's there's identity to these churches. And we joke about those identities, and I think it's important that that we understand some of those things that are distinctive. But one of the things we work as pastors very hard to do is not let those cliches, those stereotypes define the way that we as pastors do ministry, because we are Christians first. And every third Thursday, we get together and we fellowship together as unified pastors in this community, regardless of what happens on Sunday morning. Because that is who we are called to be. That is our identity first. I would, I would encourage you to please look into your life and ask that question. Have you put too much on your identity, even with this congregation? What is your identity? I've also found that people with a healthy identity are much more productive church members. Because if you've got an identity, that is, I'm here to serve the body of Christ because I have been chosen by God the Father, sanctified by the Spirit, and unto the obedience of Jesus Christ, you participate. And for people that are not seeing their life from that perspective, that are simply just here to observe, they don't. When they come here because it's an Acts 29 church, but not because they are part of the identity of god then they just participate but not really meaningful participation happens with people when their identity is secure in god the father god the spirit and god the son that's what peter is saying he's not even referring to them in denominational senses right he's identifying them as christians So today I identify with you as Christians and I ask you to consider your identity. Who are you? How do you define who you are? Okay, let's go a little bit deeper. Family. Are you a Christian first or a husband first or a wife first or a mother first or a father first or a missionary first? Where is your identity? Because I know that I struggle with wanting to be a husband or a father before I'm a Christian, before I'm a follower of God. And I hope that my wife tells me when she sees that happening in my life. What priorities do you have? What comes first? Does your spouse see your identity? Do they see that radiating from you constantly? Do you put that identity before them? Do they understand that and accept that when you do it? Now, this has been justified. This has been used a lot of times in past to justify that I'm a Christian first. So therefore, my family can come second on all things. Now, that is probably a misrepresentation. If in an application where you're neglecting your family. Because there's this wonderful thing in Scripture, is that Scripture doesn't actually contradict itself. So if you're being a terrible husband or a terrible father in God's name, you're getting it wrong. That's not a justification. You need to go back and read Scripture, you need to put yourself under accountability. There is no place in Scripture that says that being godlike means that these people will be neglected. What it says is being godly will overflow and pour out love and consideration and respect into these people. Your family should be flourishing. If your family is dying off, if your relationships are dying off in the name of the gospel, you're getting it wrong. If you're arguing regularly in the name of the gospel, you're getting it wrong. I can say this because I know it in my life, because I see it in my marriage. I'm not coming to you as somebody that has this figured out. I'm coming to you as somebody that struggles with this. That knows that there are days where my identity is not where it should be. Because I know my, my marriage would be a lot more healthy on those days if it was. Peter is writing this letter to us. He's saying, don't forget, you are God's chosen ones, sanctified by the work of the Holy Spirit unto the obedience of Jesus Christ. That's who you are. We have been sanctified. Now, what does this mean in practical terms? Okay, we can talk about the mindset of family and whether I'm being a good husband or not, but when it gets down to the actual practic- practicality of how we apply this, what does that look like? Well, first off, it's important to understand that because of the qualification that we are, uh, uh, that we are uh, chosen by God the Father and sanctified by the Holy Spirit, we are called unto the obedience of Jesus Christ. There is a lot of meaning in that phrase. You are called, because of your identity, to follow Jesus Christ, to be obedient. It means that you can forget whatever constitution or legal system or whatever was driving your life before, and you can live by a new constitution. Now, as part of that new constitution, my guess is, you're probably still supposed to follow the other laws. But you've inverted the relationship. Your new constitution is one that you have with God. One that is written out by the obedience that you have to Jesus Christ. We are under a new law. It also says very clearly that we are to live as aliens. 2 Timothy, 1 John, go look them up. We are called to be aliens. First John, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us, for if they belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. Now, in this particular case, why are they leaving? They're leaving because they didn't belong. They didn't belong to the alien race. They're not they're not leaving because they didn't belong to the Jewish group, but they did they didn't belong because they weren't with, they weren't aliens. What he's saying here is they had to leave because they weren't willing to live the alien life. And what Peter is saying here is that it doesn't matter where you live, in what context you live in, you are absolutely to be aliens. Now, I know we don't do this well because we spend a lot of our time trying not to be aliens, We spend a lot of our time trying to identify with a culture that we're comfortable with. To live in a context we're we're comfortable with. To speak languages that we're comfortable with. Our desire is to not be an alien. And that honestly makes sense. And it also makes sense that that's not what Jesus wants of you. You are required as a condition of your obedience to Jesus Christ to live as an alien to this world. Now there's a lot of other theology that can come off of this. Please know I am not saying that you should be totally apart from this world and disconnected from it. I am saying that you should have friends in this world. That you should have a secular impact. But that that should not be your identity. It is important that we are Christ-like first. And that will absolutely guaranteed, if done right, make you an alien. This world will hate you. This world will hate me because we're aliens. Because we don't understand. Because we're not part of the the secular grouping. And that's okay. So the next time, my challenge to myself, that something happens... And I feel like, man, I, I deserve better than this. I don't deserve better than this. I'm an alien. I'm an exile. I've been rejected by this world. What's really, really interesting is there keeps being this qualifier that if you do it well, you live as an alien. There's that, that interesting thing. So for those of you that are comfortable, that are seeking comfort, and I raise my hand, <laughs> For those of you that are seeking comforts, you're doing it wrong. For those of you that are seeking to serve God, to be one of his chosen, sanctified by the Holy Spirit, unto the obedience of Jesus Christ, to whatever extent that takes you, most likely to a very uncomfortable lifestyle where things will not go right, where money will not come in, where your car will break, where Satan will be constantly trying to destroy you and your family and your ministry. You're doing it right. You're doing it right. That's what we should be pursuing. Now, why is 1 Peter such a difficult book to swallow? Because that's the message. The message is, you're doing it right if you're suffering. And I want to encourage you to continue to do it right. As the body of Christ, that is what we are here together to do. Right as community. As as a corporate body. This is the entity that we were given in order to make it through what is required of us. We are given the body of Christ to encourage each other to fellowship together, to lift each other up, to be edifying. That's what this body is for. People that don't need the church aren't doing it right because God has told us we will fail apart from His love, apart from who He is, apart from the church, we will fail. He's given us this, the church globally, so that we can succeed. Every person in here that has professed Jesus Christ has been chosen You have been chosen. You think you chose this life. You did not choose this life. You have been chosen. I have been chosen. There should be a great peace in that. Right? Things are going wrong. Pray about it and go sleep great. Because it's not your problem. Because you've been chosen. The job has been placed upon you. You did not accept. You did not choose this life. God chose it for you. Enjoy that. Enjoy it. As we go through 1 Peter, I want you to be evaluating your life. Because we live in a tension. A tension between the things of this world that we can participate in, that we hope and pray and work, don't destroy us. And the tension between the things of God, the things that He has given us, the the, the identity that He's given us, and those things are at war. And somehow, we are called to live by the power of Jesus Christ with an impact in the other one. And that is a challenge far beyond the capacity of any human. So, as we go through this, I, I invite you as a congregation to, to to join us in in learning what Peter says this should look like. Learning how do we constantly be in this tension without it eating us up? How does that How does that tension not destroy us? Peter gives some great things things like hospitality things like service things like prayer we're going to go through those because those are the things that Peter has 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 said will keep us in that tension but Peter also very clearly says that we are to be in that tension our goal should not be to get our support to a point where we no longer have to trust in God our goal should not be to get our our ministry to a point where we no longer have to be faith-based and fearful of the things that this world might do to us. Because we're supposed to think big. We're supposed to dream big. We're supposed to allow God to come in and to empower our ministries. We're supposed to push the envelope with our families, with our friends, with our kids, with our schools, with our ministries. We are intended to be in the tension. So what is your identity? Is your identity one that is fleeing the tension? Whereas your identity one that's headlong into the into the tension. Do you desire that comfort? We probably will struggle with that our entire lives. But we shouldn't desire that comfort because it's fake. The comfort that we are to receive in life, is the comfort, in knowing that God is in control. God is in control. John Piper likes to say that God is most glorified, right? God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. That's a wonderful line. Peter is saying to these people at the very, very end here, he says, grace and peace be yours in abundance. God is most Glorified when we are most satisfied in him, not in this world, in him. So today I address this letter that we'll be unpacking for this next several weeks to you, the church, the body of Christ here in Chiang Mai at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship. To the exiles, the aliens. To God's elect. That have been chosen by God the Father, that have been sanctified by the Holy Spirit and are called unto the obedience of Jesus Christ and the sprinkling of His blood. More grace and peace be to you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that You will continue to unfold this passage in our hearts. Continue to... Um, Convict us of those areas where we are pursuing the things of this world, where our identity is caught up in the things we have and the the people around us, the families we have, the ministries we serve. Lord, I pray that you would convict us of that sin, that our identity would be singular and unified, and it would be as you have intended it to be. But I pray that you continue to bring this word to our hearts throughout the week. That we would meditate on it. That we would consider our identities. Lord, we commit this, this passage to you, this, this book to you, to your glory. That it would be revealed to us in a new way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.